Now, I am not a native to the state of Florida. I've been here 35 years. I am from St. Louis. Uh, but I think after 35 years, I've earned the right to talk about the driving that goes on in this state. <clears throat> now, it's not quite as bad as Cairo, where you, you can be on an interstate, uh, eight lanes, and they're 12 wide, and one of those wides might be a camel. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. You'll come around a corner at 70 miles an hour, and there'll be a camel in the middle of the interstate. It's not quite that bad here, but people go left, right, turn around, right in the middle of the road. They'll just do whatever they want. So I thought maybe if I offered a tutorial here that I could be of assistance to the rest of the town, that you might, like, share this with other people, okay? All right, we'll start off easy, all right? Stop, stop. Does that need further explanation or are we good? All right, try the next one. That means let somebody else go first. Okay? School zone, children, slow down to like 75. I think the zone's 25 for that. Merging, yes, okay. This one is not seen that often. Never pass when there's a solid yellow line in the middle of the road. <laughs> Allow me a moment to regroup. Okay. So we've been chasing Joseph and his family all around southern Israel, Egypt, Last week, we finally were reunited. Jacob uh, was brought down to Egypt. Joseph's reunited with his dad. All the brothers, they moved to the land called Goshen. Uh, Goshen is still an area today. It's just south of Alexandria, and it's where most of the food for Egypt is grown. Because if you look at a map, uh, Egypt, 90, 99% of the people live in a two-mile two mile strip of Egypt because you live within two miles of the Nile. 100 million people live in that two-mile strip, about the size of Georgia. Uh, but up in Goshen is uh, where the Greenland is. It's where the Nile opens up. And uh, that's where Jacob's family settles. And that's very important for, for this part of the story. So for the last 17 years of Jacob's life, things are marvelous. After all the heartache, after all the grief, thinking his son was dead, after all the lying and deception that's gone on from his, from his other boys, things are finally right. And they've moved to Egypt. Uh, but remember, there's been a famine. All right, let's, let's don't forget the backstory. Joseph had a, a dream when he was in prison that there would be seven years of blessing and then there would be seven years of famine. And the famine would eat up all of the good years. So the seven years, Joseph stores up grain. If you want to Google Joseph's granaries, uh, there's still some of the ruins around Egypt that are still there to be seen to this day, 3,800 years later. Um, but the seven lean years come, and they do eat up everything. But it doesn't end after that. It's not like on the 15th year, okay, now we're back to normal. No, everything's been destroyed. The, the land has become desert. Uh, there's no seeds. There's, there's, there's no nothing. So it's, it's not like on the 15th year, now everything's back and we're all just living again. No, 
Joseph has stored up all that grain and he's been taking care really of the whole world. At this time, uh, Egypt is, would be Egypt, North Sudan, South Sudan, Libya, uh, parts of Iran, parts of Saudi Arabia, about twice the size of what you and I think of, of Egypt today. And if you're wondering, uh, if you've, if you've seen the, the mask of King Tut, and I'm sure you have, um, King Tut was a very minor, minor pharaoh, totally unimportant in the history of Egypt, really. Uh, and yet solid gold, everything. He's nothing. The other guys that we didn't get their stuff, everything was gold. Where did all of the gold and silver come from? Well, you don't usually say when you're in Egypt, a Jewish boy built all of this, but that's what happened. And that's the story in chapter 47. I'll show you where all that gold came from. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word. There was no food, however, in the whole region. Because the famine was severe. Remember, the seven bad years ate up the good ones. Both in Egypt, all right, Canaan is Israel's, just so you'll know, the land of Canaan. Uh, wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money, all the gold, all the silver that was to be found in all of Egypt and all of Israel in payment. For the grain that they were buying and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all the all Egypt came back to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money's gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. And he brought them that year with, through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money's gone and our livestock belongs to you, there's nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy us and our land in exchange for food. And we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die. And that the land may not become totally desolate. So Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields. Because the famine was so severe, the land all became Pharaoh's. And Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he didn't buy the land of the priests because they received the regular allotment from Pharaoh and had enough food from that allotment. That's why they didn't sell their land. Joseph said to the people, now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives. Now notice this, okay, because you're reading this through a 20th, 21st century lens, 4,000 years back into the Egyptian culture. The people are not mad that they're enslaved, servitude, whatever. They're grateful to be alive. We, You, you have saved our lives, May we find favor in your eyes, O Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. 
will happily pay that 20%. So Joseph established it as a law concerning uh, the land in Egypt that was still in force that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt for 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew for Jacob to die, he called for his son Joseph and said, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I'll do what you say, Joseph said. Not enough. Jacob says, swear to me. So Joseph swore to him. And Israel, Jacob, worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. You can be seated. All right. What's Joe going to do with this? Here we go. One, one man and one man alone is responsible for Joseph getting out of prison. Who is it? It's Pharaoh. God gave Joseph a vision. You have to understand, the Egyptians worshipped 2,000 gods. And you're looking around and you're like, well, how can that possibly be? That'd be like everything. Bingo. They worshipped everything except the living God. You, in the last in the last two years, you you through your faithful generosity have planted twelve churches in the Valley of the Kings, all right, on the west bank of the Nile in Luxor. It is the first time in six thousand years that the living God has been worshipped in Luxor. They've worshipped every other god, but they're now worshiping. We have we have small home churches. We have twelve of them on the West Bank because the Egyptians worshipped everything: animals, plants, people, pharaohs, you name it. They're worshiping everything. Joseph gets this vision from God, and Joseph said, "Look, wasn't any of your gods? How do we know that?" Because everything came true. Seven great years, seven years of famine. And so every time somebody comes to get grain, Joseph gets to tell them about the true God again. He gets to tell them about the living God, not not their 2,000 gods. He gets to tell them the truth. And so Joseph has but one loyalty. Now pay attention to this. His job is to make the king of Egypt successful. Right? If you're the number two guy, your only job is to make the number one guy look good. And so his job is to build Egypt. I don't know what Pharaoh's doing. He's out living large. But Joseph is building Egypt. Where did all of the gold come from that's in all of these, all of these, um, uh, tombs and all of these pharaohs and all everything in Egypt, just in the most miraculous gold, it all came from this moment when all the money in the known world was brought to Joseph, and Joseph collects all of it for Pharaoh, for his king. Now, you and I have a king too. In fact, the Bible says he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of 
lords. And what breaks my heart and what I fight really hard is there are times when we will say, verbally or non-verbally, this is good enough for God. I come to church once a month, twice a month, twice a year. Uh, I give this, I do this. This is good enough for God. But we would never accept that for ourselves. We would never say, oh, that's good enough for my family. But it's good enough for God. Joseph said, no, my king deserves the best. First, First Chronicles chapter 14 is the story of when King Solomon is building the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem. And God said, look, I, I don't live in houses made by human hands, but if you want to build this thing, build it in Jerusalem. And it is built to perfection. They brought in cedars from Lebanon, which are still there. If you'd like to look at the great cedar forests that are, that are in Lebanon. And uh, he brought in the finest gold. He brought in the finest ivory. Uh, the, I mean, it was the, the landmark in the world was Solomon's temple that he had built to the living God. Because Solomon said, our God deserves the very best. And where did he get the money? Solomon had put out word, hey, we're going to build this temple for God. All the pagan gods had temples. And so Solomon said, look, you just bring whatever, you, whatever you've got, bring it, and um, we'll build. They got so much money and so much gold that Solomon had to make a speech and say, quit bringing the gold. We don't need any more. I don't know if you'll ever hear me say that. I just, I, I don't know. But they said, we're going to build something for God, and it's going to be the best of the best of the best. Because you and I serve the king. And doesn't the king of kings deserve our best? Joseph is building the empire, not for himself. Now, do I think Joseph's living well? Yeah, I do. But all of the glories go into Pharaoh. All of the glories go into Egypt. All the glory is going to go to Egypt for the next 4,000 years because Joseph built it into this global empire because he listened to the living God and because he told everybody about that living God. But then what amazes me is the servant heart of Joseph. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think for a minute Joseph's got a shovel and he's like filling up grain bags for people. I don't think so. But the whole world is coming and saying, Joseph, we're starving. I'm assuming it's, it's delegates. There's delegates coming from different tribes, delegates coming from different countries. People are coming and saying, Joseph, you've got to do something or we're going to starve. And so, again, he gets the gold, the silver, then he gets the animals, then he, then he, then he swaps out land. And, and he, he brokers this incredible deal and he saves the world. There's just no getting around it. Joseph saved the world from starvation, not because of what he did, but because he listened to what God told tell him to do. During those seven good years, you store it up. Because tough times are going to be coming. It's, it's, it's what he did. But he becomes a servant to the whole world. You know, there's a lot of people that have a lot. I won't, it doesn't matter. You, you put whoever you want in that category. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's Hollywood. Maybe it's a politician. There are people that have and have and have and have. And I don't know if you know this or not. The people that have the most give the least. 
That's just the statistical truth. It's always been that way because there's never enough of this world. Joseph decides he's going to be a servant. Now, it's interesting because that's the highest calling for us. See, the disciples, they get together around Jesus and here they are getting to be with God in the flesh. You'd think they'd be excited about that, right? And they're sitting around discussing amongst themselves, who do you think of us as the greatest? You're kidding, right? You guys all went to high school together. You know each other. Really? That's what you're discussing? And Jesus shows up and says, guys, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, go be a servant of all. And then while they're discussing who's the greatest, Jesus comes in with a basin of water and does the lowliest slave job in the world. He washes their feet. They wouldn't even wash their own feet. Because when you travel and there's dust and sandals, they wouldn't wash their own feet. They're sitting around going, which of, me, which of us is the greatest? And Jesus said, none of you. I'm the greatest, but I'm going to demonstrate that by being a servant. See, when you and I get to the point where we're above that, I don't care what it is, then we've failed as a Christian. Um, one of the, and it still goes on today all the time, but I'm going to tell you this story because these two guys no longer live in this area. But one day I walked into our children's ministry and it doesn't matter, but I'll just, the, one guy was a heart surgeon, world renowned, and the other one was a very, uh, high up judge that was almost on the, well, anyway, on his way to the Supreme Court and they were in our children's ministry on the floor teaching three-year-olds about Jesus. That got me. And I talked to him individually. And I said, you know, that, that blows me away because you're here. We're nothing. We're servants. See, there's only two positions in the kingdom. One is Jesus. You don't get that one. And the only other position available is servant. But we got pastors and priests and bishops and elders and church members all vying for power and position. The only position available, guys, is servant. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be a servant. And I'm going to tell you, I got pictures. I'm going to post them. I, I'm not real good with, with that, but I'm going to post them on Facebook. Uh, what you guys have done, if you could see the back right now, I'll, I'll show you some pictures. It looks like the shoeboxes look like the closing scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they're moving the boxes. We just have smaller boxes. But there's thousands of them back there. Then over in the office, there's so much food stacked up for the schools. that It'll all go out this week. and It'll all be distributed this week, so keep bringing it. And then there are four giant tubs about this big filled with things that you brought in, the hygiene products and the clothes to help our police department. Guys, that is what the Church of Jesus Christ does. We don't, we don't sit around. There's not, listen, there's nothing wrong with sitting around and having a meal. You can tell I like to eat. There's nothing wrong with, with, with having dinner. There's nothing wrong with going out and having coffee. There's nothing wrong with that. But when the church ceases to be this kind of, to be doing this kind of stuff, we've lost our purpose because our purpose is to be salt and light. We're to be winning souls. We're to be planting churches locally, nationally, internationally. That's what the church does. We serve. 
Romans chapter 12 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Didn't say not to like yourself. Just said honor others above yourself. Okay, what would happen in your marriage if you honored your wife or your husband above yourself? What would happen if you honored your children? What would happen if you honored your parents? What would happen if you honored your coworkers? What would happen if you honored your boss? What would happen if you said, you know what? I want to be a part of this. I'll serve in children. I'll serve with the teens. I'll serve in the food pantry because I need to be serving. I don't want to just be a part of a church that's serving. I want to be a servant. And that's why here we don't talk about membership. I hate that word, churches. Because membership's what you have at a country club. And membership says, where do I get to park? Do I get a key to the executive bathroom? We have partnership. Partnership says, I'll park as far away as I have to. I'll help any way I can. I'll go to a service that's uncomfortable. I'll stand up if I have to so other people can have a seat. Because our goal is to win people to Jesus Christ. That's what partnership looks like. But then I saved the meat of it for the end because I like this. And Jacob, after all that Joseph has done, 17 years, gave him the best land, turned his life around from grief, misery, pain, suffering, all that he's been through. And the last 17 years of his life are gold. Best land, living large in Egypt. He's reunited with his son. Everything's well. And now he's ready to die and he has but one request. Do not bury me in Egypt. Okay. Why? Why? Who cares? All right, this is a place for just to make a simple statement. Because people ask me all the time, I'll save you an email. It doesn't matter whether you're buried, cremated, eaten by a shark, rot in the ground. None of it matters. Because you and I were created from nothing. Now, do I understand biology? I do. But... It was the divine spark that happened between your mom and your dad. And you and I were created from nothing. And all of a sudden there was a cell and then there was two cells. It's a divine act of God for us just as much as it was the moment God created Adam. And if he created us from nothing the first time, do you think he can do it again? So the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, when we die, our souls will go to the presence of God. But at the second coming of Jesus, we'll get a new body. And our soul and body will come together and we'll have an incorruptible body. One that disease, pain, suffering, cancer, nothing can get to this new body. Uh, But that will be built out of whatever's left. Whatever. If If God made me from nothing, if there's a few grains of sand, that's all he'll need. He'll just take the ashes or the dust or the sand and he'll make a new Joe. And this one will be better. This one will be eternal. So it doesn't matter. But for Jacob, it matters. And for Joseph, two chapters later, it's going to matter to him. Because he's going to tell his people, don't you bury me here in Egypt. Joseph buried in the West Bank. And so is Jacob, but in a different place. Jacob said, I want to be buried with my fathers. Okay. So here's where Jacob is buried. This is the, called the, the Cave of Machpelah. Um, 
it's, uh, it is an archaeological wonder by itself. Herod the Great built this 2,000 years ago over top of Abraham's grave so that we would know where it is. And um, half of it is a synagogue. The other half is a mosque. I've been on both sides to pray. And there are men with Uzis standing outside, both of them, just waiting for somebody to mess up. Very dangerous place. Right, it's right outside of Gaza in southern Israel. Very, very dangerously contested. I would not go to Hebron right now. But in Genesis 23, Abraham buys this place. Now, this is interesting because Abraham said, hey, I want that piece of land by that tree and that cave. Now, Hebron is littered with caves. Hundreds of caves. Thousands of caves. Go pick a cave. Be buried in it. Abraham said, I want that cave. He bought it because his wife Sarah died. Now let me tell you who's buried under this, in this cave. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah. The only one of the patriarchs not buried there is Rachel. And that was Jacob's favorite wife. And she died giving childbirth to Benjamin, Joseph's biological brother. She's buried in Bethlehem. Her grave is still there as well. You, it, you can't go there right now either. But that's, that's where she's at. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Joe, why this cave? So why don't you just ask me, Joe, why this cave? Man, that's a good question. Because of all the caves and all the property in Genesis 23, Abraham goes into a debate. Now, if you don't understand how Arabs deal, deal with things, Jacob says, or, or Abraham says, I want to buy it. He goes, dude, you're a friend. I'll give it to you. He says, no, you're too good of a friend for me to take it. I'll buy it. That's called Arab negotiations. That means we know we're going to pay for it. We just haven't settled on a price yet. So Abraham buys it, which is very important. He bought the land. We have the deed right there. Same thing with David buying Jerusalem in 1 Samuel 24. You can, you, can, you can look that up as well. But he said, i got to have that cave. It's where Sarah's buried. It's where Abraham, Isaac, where Jacob says, i got to be buried there. Somebody, why? Not in the Bible, but it's where Eve was buried. That Eve. Remember when God took from Adam's side and he made the woman and then Adam said her name will be Eve because she will be the mother of all living and we've been chasing this thread about the messianic line through Abraham Isaac Jacob and then we're going to see Judah and we'll chase this line all the way to Jesus Abraham wants Sarah buried with Eve Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob want to be right there in that same place. Second reason. If Jacob is buried in Egypt, they'll worship him. They'll build a pyramid. There's hundreds of them. And they would have built one for Jacob, and Joseph knew they would have built one for him. So Joseph says the same thing. Don't you bury me here. Because he knew they would become just another god to the Egyptians. And Jacob wants to make sure that nobody thinks that he's God. That he's just another man doing what God has called him to do. And so they take him out of Egypt so that they can never worship 
Jacob's body. They can never worship Joseph's body. They will never be looked at as a Pharaoh or anything, anything beyond what you and I are, simply servants of God. What's amazing is you hear the old, hear the saying, you only go around once, so live it to the fullest. But you rarely hear people say, you only die once and eternity's forever, you better prepare for it. We get so caught up thinking, I gotta have this world. Jacob said, no, I don't want this world. Again, it doesn't matter where we're buried. This is different. But we're so worried about what this world's going to think. You know, I need to build this mausoleum. I need to build a pyramid for myself. I need to have this. Jacob said, no, just the opposite. Just take me and put me back where this story started. Think about what the consequences of eternity are, not what's happening now. So I don't know who needs Jesus. If you've not accepted Jesus, room three. We have counselors out there. Uh, They will answer questions, pray with you for whatever reason. But if you need to accept Jesus online, uh, hit the button. I've decided people will help you. But I'm going to finish with, i got to have a baseball story. I haven't told one yet. Um, But this is Roberto Clemente. And when I was growing up, this guy was one of my heroes. He died when I was 10 years old. Uh, trying to help people that uh, had been in an in a earthquake in Nicaragua. But Flamini grew up very much like Jackie Robinson in Major League Baseball. He was treated very badly because he was Hispanic. Uh, the racial stuff was really bad. In fact, the press wouldn't even use his name, Roberto. They called him Bob. I mean, it, it was it, it's, it's just crazy stuff that went on. And this is the last hit that he ever got. Uh, Just a couple months later, he'll die in the Gulf of Mexico in a plane crash. But he's standing there September morning in Pittsburgh after he got his 3,000th hit. And I keep that picture in my office because it reminds me, in his eyes, it looks like I, I did what I came to do. And I think about Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. I did what I came to do. But I have those two images, and then I have me. And I say, Joe, have you done what God sent you here to do? Because when your job's done, you'll be gone, and I'm still here. So how do we finish what God wants us to do? So I don't know. For you, is it about being a servant? Do you need to sign up? Say, I need, to, I, need to, I need to get involved in this. I need to get serious. Is it about doing the best to build for the king? Or are you still building for yourself? Or are you worried about this world so much that you're not thinking about, hey, don't, don't leave me here. Make sure that my eternal place is what's taken care of. So, Father, as we wrap this up, we ask you to apply it. You are the great Holy Spirit. You said when we don't know how to pray, we should just talk and that the Spirit of God would take it to the Father. I don't know who's broken with what. I don't know who's blessed and given you tenth best. I have no idea. So Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would bring it, bring it home. To everybody, watching online, watching here in person. In Jesus' name, amen.